It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This podcast contains explicit language. So that happened. This week, America welcomed Hillary Clinton into the 2016 presidential race. Did you hear about this? If you haven't heard about this, please let us know the location of your Fortress of Solitude and how much it would cost to rent a room there for the next, uh, let's say, 570 days. We are totally happy to wash dishes and mow lawns, so let's negotiate. Meanwhile, who says the House of Representatives aren't generous people? Why, just this week, the House voted to offer upwards of $250 billion in handouts to needy Americans. And by needy Americans, we mean the decadent layabout heirs of our nation's top plutocrats. So really, we mean useless Americans. I'm Jason Lincolns with Huffington Post reporters Zach Carter and Amanda Turkle. Some guy landed a gyrocopter on Congress's lawn this week, giving hope to everyone who'd like to see Capitol Hill's skies choked with homemade flying contraptions. But here's what happened first. Okay, it's once again time for So That Happened, the podcast of events that have previously occurred in space and time. My name is Jason Lincolns. Today I'm joined in the HuffPost Washington, D.C. podcast redoubt by two of my colleagues, beginning with... Amanda Turkle. And what are you, Amanda? Tell the people what you are. I am a politics reporter here at HuffPost. Right, and of course, we, we, can't, we can't do anything without our good friend... Zach Carter, senior political economy reporter right. for the Huffington Post. <laughs> there you go. I'm Jason Lincolns, <laughs> editor of Eat the Press. There's so much to talk about today and so little time to talk about it, but I first want to talk about... Um, so, uh, how about that dude yesterday in the in the auto gyro, mm. gyrocopter? Did you guys see that? Am I am I the only one in this office who's paying attention to that story? So it's it's both minimally? sort of a neat story. It's like he's a postal worker, just a guy who wants to get the word out on campaign finance reform, and he even post uh, painted the postal logo on his gyrocopter. But it's also actually a really sad story. <laughs> to reassure people because he was inspired to do this by his son's horrifically brutal suicide. So that was a sort of a sad Ooh. part. People aren't. I thought he was inspired to do this about campaign finance reform. There's that, but he also did it in part because his son uh, drove into traffic and committed suicide, and that sort of made him think about all this. So there's a very sad underlining. Mm. Oh, well, way to take the joy out of this weird <laughs> story, Amanda. I mean, that's, that is sad. It, it, uh, there's a... There's it's more fun if a toy helicopter crashed into, <laughs> right. into the White House yeah, lawn so for this no guy, reason. This guy uh, <laughs> flew his, his, his gyrocopter down onto the Capitol lawn. And, and it's like a remote control helicopter. No, he was riding he it. He was it's in like, it. Yeah, it's like a bicycle. It was a remote control helicopter. Well, that's a lot cooler. <laughs> that only like 50 reporters would have covered it. Right. As opposed to everyone who felt obligated to cover it because it was happening in Washington, D.C. Uh, and, and so, and, and he was arrested. Uh, and my my kind of my kind of thing is, is, is that I'm, I'm surprised by so many people who just suggested, oh, well, he should have been shot down. 
yeah, that's bad. Like Joe Scarborough today was just like, they should have shot him down. I was like, what? I mean, he also was very public that he was going to do this. He, he gave interviews everybody. in the local press. He told everyone, people apparently also called authorities and said, this guy's going to do this because they were concerned that he would be shot down. And he wasn't a threat to anyone. It is weird that NORAD did not detect him. And I think that is their problem, not his. But, you know, he... I thought it was neat. <laughs> he didn't hurt anybody. Right. Don't right. kill people who don't hurt anybody. Exactly. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm just I'm just like, what will satisfy your your thirst for blood? Joe Scarborough you know, shoot an old man down on the sky on his little bicycle powered. That's helicopter. interesting because Joe Scar- Scarborough has been in the past critical of Obama's excessive use of force. What Joe Scarborough called excessive use of force with uh, with you know the drone program uh, and and with the wars in Afghanistan. Well, I mean, those, in the past, that was years ago. I don't know what he thinks about that stuff now. That that that's the kind of position you take when you can feel high and mighty about your yourself, as opposed to just shooting an old man down out of the sky. <laughs> I should point out that I just read on Twitter that Joe Scarborough said this, so maybe I'm completely wrong. We'll have an editor or a producer fact check it. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking starting this conversation about gyrocopters. I sort of think that maybe the lesson learned here is that like the people need to pool their resources, build gyrocopters, and fly them all here at once. Safety in numbers, after all. And that would we, be and, hard to stop. And then we will get campaign finance reform? And then we'll get campaign <laughs> finance reform. I mean, how else are we going to get campaign finance reform? Well, I heard we were going to pass a constitutional amendment, and that was going to fix everything. you did hear that. Yeah. We <laughs> are talking that. about campaign finance reform today a lot more than it's been talked about in recent weeks or right. months or years. Look, I'm not trying to say I am, I am actually pro fly your campaign finance reform gyrocopter to Washington. Like, ride your campaign finance reform tractor into a reflecting pool and stay there. How how high can you go in these things? Like, could we could we put a gyrocopter landing pad on top of our office to, like, bring people here? Because we're pretty close to the White I House. I think we have enough room to park, I think, four or five gyrocopters safely. After that... Only hang gliders. I mean, because we have very limited expertise in, 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 in the in, in aerospace... Uh, Mm-hmm. Whatever you need to the training exactly you demonstrating our lack of expertise. Like, yeah, exactly. So I don't even know the word for it. But like I, I'm, I, I can tell you that I'm only. You can really only count on me to 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 like guide a few planes in for a landing. I'm no, you know, dude on the deck of an aircraft carrier. Uh, I think that collectively we might be able to handle you know five or six. Uh, yeah, but there's plenty of space to land things in every every time. A, there's all these triangular parks all over DC. <laughs> There's the mall. You can land. Paradise Square. You know, land before the kickball players start. Land before time. They will kick your ass. Land They're before time. They're drunk and dumb. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think people need to just fly their weird contraptions to Washington. That's that's what I I, I want more people flying more weird contraptions to Washington. I want this to look like the Red, Red Bull Flugtag around here. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but it but sounds cool. For campaign finance reform, go well look it up on on YouTube. The Twitters. Red Bull Flugtag. It's just like a it's a it's a contest of bad aerospace technology falling into the water. <laughs> is Elon Musk involved? Elon Musk. Well, probably. Who knows? But okay, so you mentioned that we're going to get a campaign uh, constitutional amendment, Amanda. Who, who's going to do that for us? I don't. Uh, actually, that was Zach who mentioned that, but I don't know if we're going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> I think people want to get it, including Hillary Clinton. Oh, right, has right, talked right. about it. 
Hillary Clinton, she did something this week, right? She's she mentioned that she would like to, you know, get more money out of politics and that she a constitutional amendment might be the way to do it. So, uh, you know, that was Hillary little by little is talking about her policy positions. And so this was one that got people's attention. Right. Perhaps we should just back up and just like let the readers know, readers, viewer, listeners know that Hillary Clinton is running for president. I, people haven't been noticing that. And I think it's good to remind people of that. Yeah, good. Well, I mean, you know, I our, I like to think of our listeners as busy people with real lives. <laughs> you know, they tune into us every week to hear about the things that happen, and we tell them three at a minimum three things that occurred, and then they walk <laughs> into their lives well armed with the knowledge that a thing happened. So, so uh, I this has been the maybe the most carefully choreographed. And scripted campaign rollout, as if I can remember, they're all carefully scripted and choreographed. But there's something exacting about this. What do you think? What, what do you think Hillary Clinton is being so mindful of just at the start of this? I think she's being mindful of the fact that she lost in 2008. <laughs> right, I remember that happening too. <laughs> um, but honestly, I think she's done a pretty good job so far. She has really learned a lot of the lessons of 2008 where she came out with her helicopter, very different than a gyroscope, <laughs> and seemed acted like she was going to win this and everyone should treat her like she was the next president. And she is not doing that this time. And she is treating this more like her Senate run in New York State, where she definitely was not a shoe in to win. Uh, New Yorkers were very skeptical of her. Uh, I lived in New York State at the time, thought she was a carpetbagger and just thought that she was going to come in and use the state uh, just to sort of promote herself. And she she won New Yorkers over. She was humble. She went around the state to all sorts of little towns in upstate New York, did her listening tour, and she ended up winning and being a good senator for the state. And so I think that she's taking lessons from that, which is pretty smart. And she's out of the gate talking about economic economic issues mm-hmm. or, or uh, kitchen table issues without specifically citing any policies. You know, her, her rollout video where she announced her, her candidacy was all a whole bunch of people talking about economic insecurity, essentially. And that is the issue that, that I think uh, animates the, the Democratic Party the most right now is economic policy issues. And, uh, and you know, I don't think she's going to face a serious challenger for the, for the primary, but she does need to get people out to vote. Um, and yeah. and that's, that's one way to, to get people animated. The, um, I mean, what's interesting about this whole process with me is that, A, she doesn't have a competitor. And so the media attaches this trope to her candidacy. Well, a competitor would make her better, which is, you know, one of those fact-free assertions. Is that your Mitch McConnell impression? I, I don't know what that was. <laughs> that was pretty close. I don't know what that was. Sorry. Just say coal. It, we're, we're recording this, like, literally an hour earlier than we normally do, and I am way off my game. I'm still, like, half asleep. I'd still rather be at home with my cat and my wife in bed. You know, it, it, I'm pathetic. It's like it's actually like <laughs> ten thirty. I'm I'm the worst. Um, yeah. the, the, uh, <laughs> it's four in the afternoon, Jason. Now, <laughs> yeah. it's Tuesday. <laughs> this podcast already happened. Um, the uh, the um, but but there's what I find funny is that as carefully patterned and scripted as this launch is, the the media is so hungry for the complete package. Like, I think that it's interesting that she's chosen to go small at first and then sort of release over time her policy positions. Because the artifice of this, of course, is that she's meeting with ordinary people and those ordinary people are going to shape her policy positions. 
But the reporter's like, no, we need to know now what your plan is. I got to have it right now. Why are you in that Chipotle? Why are you not ordering sofritas? And then they chase, and, and there's that hilarious that hilarious moment. She on, should have ordered sofritas. That's yeah. my favorite. That's my favorite at Chipotle. I've not had the sofritas, but I've been meaning to it's try them. It's awesome. Oh, but the uh, the Alex Seitzwald friend of the show video from MSNBC. Yeah, yeah, where, where all those pathetic boobs were running after her van, all in the hopes of... Of maybe getting a tiny, you know, blurry photograph of her like g- walking into a door, uh, <laughs> or out of a van, or out of the van. Uh, you know, it would have definitely been, you know, Pulitzer worthy material. Is it? Can we not have any calm in this world? It's also like still eighteen months away. The election is. I know. We have a long way to go. It Although I will say, if I was there, I would have been running to, to the van. No, you wouldn't. Yes, I would have been. No. Maybe I wouldn't have started no, the running. No, no, no. But if everyone else was going there, I would have run, too. You, you don't want to be there. You don't want to. You will look ridiculous. And there are a lot of times as a reporter you look ridiculous. Luckily, most of them are not live on air. But you don't want to be the one missing out if she happens to come out and does say something to the press. And you know it's very, very remote that she will. But you have to be there. So I That's don't like me, it, but I would have I would have been there. I'm only too willing to miss out. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, yeah, fuck that. I'd have been like, running. everybody's going to get this story. I'll get something else. <laughs> right. Let's see what's behind this rock right. but, in Iowa. But, you know, was she going to say anything? No, she really wasn't. And, th- you know, I think that, you know, people are a little too obsessed with her right now. But if you're there, I think you're going to go with everyone else and try to see what she says. Maybe the point is to not be there right now. I think that might be part of the point, yes. Interesting that we weren't there. Yeah, right. Yeah, well, you know, I suppose I suppose they could have, like, she could have, like, jumped out of the van and tripped and, like, revealed that she did Benghazi. And it would have been, like, really awkward if no one had been there to ca- capture Can that. we also just praise Alex Seitzwald for a moment? Because he's great. And the way he handled that live on air was just so dignified but was, vaguely smirking as well. I, I just think thought he it was, was dying of laughter. He was yes. he was trying to hold it back but couldn't. Although fight. if he were was not on air, I bet he would have been running to the van too. Yes. And probably <laughs> laughing about it while he was running. Yeah, uh, I believe in Alex Sides. <laughs> yep. Alex would have sent his cat, who was once the salon uh, Washington D.C. bureau chief, actually. Little known fact: Alex Seitzwald's cat was was, uh, was Salon's Washington correspondent. Um, so we, you you just mentioned you just mentioned uh, the whole idea that she's sort of like leading with economic insecurity, mm-hmm. kitchen table issues, and this is like obviously really really important for her to establish because of the imaginary threat of an Elizabeth Warren candidacy, uh, which which exists in the minds of the media because Hillary Clinton needs a foil to, you know, make her better. But it also exists more substantively in the minds of people who have watched this Democratic Party uh, kind of slowly and perhaps uh, uh, hesitantly try to transform itself from the party that deregulated everything during Hillary Clinton's husband's administration to one that's that's sort of started to wake up to the idea that all that was a huge mistake Mm -hmm. uh, and and that economic inequality has become deeply entrenched. Um, One of the things I find very interesting about it is that for all of the rhetoric she's put forth so far, when you ask Wall Streeters, hey, are, are, are you mad at Hillary Clinton for saying this stuff? Are you worried that she's like, going to come after you with pitchforks? They're like, nah, nah. We, <laughs> we know, the, 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 you know, the Wall Street said are just like, we know Hillary Clinton's just 
you know, it's just politics. She's got to say that stuff. We're not worried about her. We're not afraid of her. And there and, and there's this amazing quote that um, Kia Makarechi at Vanity Fair got from a guy who put his name to it. Okay, Robert Wolf, the CEO of UBS America. Oh, He's Obama's favorite favorite uh, Wall Streeter. He's very close to the Obama campaign. Yeah. Okay. So. He he said that he said uh, I do not view Hillary Clinton what Hillary Clinton said as populist or far left. She's just saying she's not saying a hedge fund manager shouldn't be making what they're making. Just that someone in another job shouldn't be making three hundred times less, which is like wow. I mean <laughs> that's a vague fucking worldview right there. Like <laughs> according to the 2015 Glowcap Hedge Fund Compensation Report, the average hedge fund manager. Uh, made $2.4 million annually that year. 300 times less than that is $8,000. <laughs> so that's really fucking generous. She's just saying She's just saying people should make at least $9,000 a year. We, we're, we're okay with that. That's fine. That's fine. You know, it's like, yeah, if she had said, you know, people should not be making 100 times less money than hedge fund managers. We just start to get a little nervous, but we're not worried about that. That's fu- that's fine. So, so. But you hear this a lot from people when, when, when inequality comes up. They say, well, inequality is just the result of rich people making more money. There's, there's nobody who gets wronged by rich people getting richer. It's, uh, every, it's everything was fine, and now it's a little <laughs> bit better for other people. And I think particularly in the financial world, that's a little bit myopic because there, there, there is evidence the financial sector in the United States is too big, that we have an over-financialized economy, and that having that big a financial sector where it's easy to make a lot of money because what do you do? You throw money around all day. Um, that actually cannibalizes other parts of the economy and makes it harder for people to make a decent living in those parts of the economy. So th- I think that 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 perspective is wrong. But, you know, I don't work on Wall Street and I don't have a whole bunch of guys barking in my ear about how awesome I am all the time because I made so much money. Uh, and, and people on Wall Street, for better or for worse, you know, they, they do sort of view their their own sense of self-worth in in financial terms because that's what they have to do all day. They've got to they've got to work with money. And so the world starts to look a little bit different uh, to, to somebody in that profession than it does in, uh, you know, in anywhere else. But the, the interesting thing is that they're, they're not worried about this at all. Yeah, and it's, and it's so, interesting because, you know, what they, they, they cry a thousand. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program. 
in tears every time Elizabeth Warren says like, hey, we should break up the big banks, right? right. And it's, a, it's, it's clearly like an emotional response that, that happens. And, you know, Elizabeth Warren's been in the Senate for a couple of years. Have you seen any banks get broken <laughs> up? Like, it hasn't happened. Like, she's a very, very powerful spokesman for, for, for the, I think, what's now the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. But, you know, what used to be sort of a common sense, let's protect markets view that, that was bipartisan. Um, she's a powerful spokesman for that. But there's very little danger that she's actually going to change anything in the near future because the rest of the Senate is totally right. owned exactly. by Wall Street. Exactly. And that may be something that Wall Street understands is that despite what Obama said when he came into office, that he was going to change the way Washington works, you don't really change the way Washington works. Uh, you know, even as president, you can do a lot, obviously, but you can't change everything. And so if you really wanted to make a big difference, like what sort of Senate, what sort of House are we going to have? Probably the House will still be controlled by Republicans. So what are you know, what are you really going to get to do? And maybe Wall Street, you know, they're they're in on the, on the joke and they realize what's going on. Or maybe Hillary but, Clinton is whispering in their ear that she's not going to do anything, which would be interesting. Maybe that's what it is, because what's interesting to me is that. They were never in on the same joke when Barack Obama talked about this. And I think Barack Obama was also like Hillary Clinton, secretly just pursuing the artifice of populism as opposed to the practical application of populism. Maybe the fact that Obamacare as a as an idea, as a concept, literally does redistribute wealth from from wealthy people to poor people. And that got them mad. But. What happened under the Obama administration if if you're a titan of finance, your profits went skyrocketed. Right. Mm-hmm. You recovered it out of the recession faster than anybody else. But he called you a fat cat. Right, that's <laughs> called that's, you a fat cat, Jason. That must that one time, that one time. Like I didn't you know what I didn't know that the word fat cat was really that wounded, wounding. <laughs> you know, I thought like fat cat is like, you know, what old timer cartoons say, you know, the rich guy. Blah, 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 yeah, and then like, you imagine you know, the Monopoly guy or something. Right, exactly. <laughs> old timey cars crash into each other. Bull feathers. <laughs> off the, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's just like crazy. Like, I, I was like, damn, if I know that like that word was like literally like the white privilege to Wall Street, I would call them fat cats a long time ago. I would like <laughs> throwing them off their game. That could be. This is just amazing to me. It's like it's like I, I thought fat cat was just like a cartoon word. Apparently, it is like a racial slur to people who. <laughs> <laughs> work on Wall Street. Well, oh, remember we had we had uh, we had Barney Frank in the office a few months ago, and maybe a year ago now. And that was one of the things he said. He said, you know, the the the, the hardest thing for the Obama administration, sort of politically, in dealing with with the moneyed class, was was that he'd hurt their feelings. It was had nothing to do with policy. He said he really didn't think that the wealthy had been really harmed in any way by the Obama administration, but he he really had hurt their feelings. I thought and that's, that after that's you made a certain amount of money, like you just didn't have feelings anymore. You shouldn't care. You you were rich enough. You were, you What's know, the point that's, of that's being don't rich? Care money, you right? still have feelings. That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess they have to wake up in the morning, get dressed, look at themselves in the mirror and justify what they're doing to themselves. Do because they? no one wants to think that, you know, no one wants to feel like they're what they've been doing all their life is meaningless and empty. Or maybe some people are OK with that. But I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't make tons and tons and tons of money on Wall Street, so I don't really know. So you're, that's a radical idea. You have a radical, you've just, that's a radical <laughs> idea that, that like someone who makes that much money may retain some semblance of a soul or <laughs> conscience. 
<laughs> I think they do. I think they Fair do. And, and, and a lot really? of them are a lot of them are Democrats, too. A lot oh, have been Democrats for a long period of time, and they don't want to feel like they are a traitor to the party. I know. You know, or this, to, their, their uh, movement. to be honest with you, this makes being like super duper wealthy less appealing to me because I thought the whole point was to just like get to this exalted place where you were bulletproof. This is why wealthy people give like so much Kanye. money to philanthropy. Yeah. <laughs> well, but this is <laughs> well, there, there are studies on this, though. There are studies like happiness studies. It's great to keep an opera house open when people are. <laughs> but sure. it turns out that like money does make you happier up to a certain point. Right. But after about forty or fifty thousand dollars a year, uh, it stops making you mm-hmm. happier. And the more you make, it just it, it's not that it makes you less happy, but it just stops. It, the increased wealth does not result in any more more happiness for you. Uh, and it's, like, it's sort of like the line at which you can start to afford some luxury goods. Like you start swapping out like your crappy couch for a nice couch. So do you think that the dictators uh, who literally steal the wealth of their people, like the Bashar Assad's, they aren't actually happy? They're no, bad? I don't think that. No, no happier than the guy who's swapping out his, his ratty old couch for a nice new leather one. I mean, maybe I should just sit down with Bashar al-Assad with a cup of tea and be like, are you... Is this making you happy? Like, are are you enjoying this? I mean, this is there's a reason why like presidents' hair gets like gray and stuff as they're in (laughs) office. It's not like they actually, you know, it's stressful and not fun to be to to be making those those decisions. Oh, right, that's true. Well, I I mean, mean, which is not to say that I have a whole lot of sympathy for Bashar (laughs) al-Assad. To be clear. Hey there, listener of this podcast. I've got a quick little thing I'd love to chat with you about. Are you a regular So That Happened listener? Well, let us know. Send me an electronic communication with your electronic communicating devices at so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. Tell us what you think of the show, what we're messing up, and who you'd like to hear more from or more about. Okay, back to the program. Well, let's keep let's keep uh, on this on this weird topic of money and like holding on to money for a long time because Zach, you wrote uh, what I guess was a super controversial story <laughs> about the estate tax. Yes, uh, Republicans call this the death tax, and they have been uh, crusading against it for several decades. I'm, I'm actually a little surprised that Republicans just picked that one tax to call death. I know you would think that you know, but like there's death, nowhere else to go from there. Everything else is like, oh, I'm just, I'm just hurt a little bit. It's tax. certainly better name than an estate tax. I mean, <laughs> who feels bad for someone who has an estate? Right. Oh, <laughs> my estate has been. Yeah. Who will take the South Lawn? Uh, uh, yeah, but also it's it's not very creative. Death and taxes is already sort of a catchphrase. So combining them, you know, I just I, got that. Yeah, you know, marketing's. So anyway, aside from the bad marketing, um, it's it's not a death tax because you don't get taxed on things when you die because you're dead. You can't do anything anymore. You don't have an estate anymore. You're dead. Um, the estate tax is, I think, better understood as the uh, Paris Hilton inheritance tax. It is a tax on on the heirs who receive the fortunes of dead people after the dead people die. Uh, and I, I was surprised. I got more hate mail for this story than for, I, I think, anything I've written in the last, like, six months. It was wild. Um, it only applies to people who are millionaires. The If you leave behind, as an individual, less than $5.43 million this year, <laughs> nothing you leave behind will be taxed. Zero dollars will be taxed. The government will take nothing. If you are married, you get to you get to bump that off until your spouse gets bumped off, and then it's $10.86 million dollars. So we're only talking about huge, huge fortunes getting taxed. It, in fact, applies to only about 4,700 households a year, which is about 0.2% <laughs> of the people who die each year. Um, 0.2, not 2%, 0.2%. Uh, 
one fifth I of do one percent. I do wish more people would die every year. <laughs> <laughs> well, it would probably it would probably lower that number and make this seem even more obscene. Uh, in addition to all the dead people everywhere, uh, so it's 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 a it's a tax on on the wealthiest people um, in in the country, and the and it's and it's a tax on unearned income. Uh, I got I got a whole lot of uh, nasty grams about using the word handout. Uh, we use the word handout in the in the the headline. I'm like, well, what do you call it when the government changes the policy so that you get a big chunk of money that you d- didn't earn? Um, <laughs> I call it a windfall. <laughs> right. We could have used windfall. Yeah, that'd be fair. Um, but it, it's it's uh, you know it, it's it's actually a fairly expensive tax. It's fairly substantive, even though only 4,700 people. Uh, our households are, are uh, subjected to it. It brings in about $269 billion over 10 years. Um, and Republicans who had been going around screaming their heads off about out-of-control deficits for, for several years um, are not proposing to do anything with the, the lost revenue. They're just going to say, well, well, we'll take a $269 billion hit to the deficit, and that's fine. I tend to think that deficit hyperventilation is silly, but of all the ways to raise money if you are worried about about the deficit the estate tax is the most obvious one it's unearned income going to wealthy people uh, it, there's there's there really aren't any good arguments that I've heard um, in, in favor of it in part because it's narrowed so much over the last 20 years and, and while this has been a Republican crusade since the 1990s Democrats have repeatedly uh, inked these bipartisan deals where uh, you know the Democrats will get something like child health care for you know poor kids and the Republicans will get uh, a narrowing of the estate tax so more and more income will be exempted from it so in 97 when when Clinton uh, signed the first of these uh, about two percent of, of dead people, were subjected to the tax. Still a very small number, but that's shrunk by by a factor of ten since then. I have a question. Um, you know, legendarily, if you think back to old school American robber barons, uh, there were many among them who took the view, "Fuck you, kids! You're not getting any of my money. I'm not leaving you shit. I'm going to give all my money away, and then you're going to have to go earn your own." Mm-hmm. What changed in America? Uh, that allowed very rich people to to start viewing their children as something other than a bunch of useless dicks. Well, <laughs> well, there's there's that uh, that Bob Dylan song, the lyric "I'm I'm helpless like a rich man's child." I mean, Could that, you that, sing that it is like Bob Dylan for me. I don't know. Are there copyright issues <laughs> with that? I don't know. Wild. So you can understand uh, how maybe this didn't yeah. cross over. But okay. Um, well, here, but so, so look, look, that is a stereotype that's out there. You, everybody has who knows wealthy families knows you at least the somebody who who's Paris Hilton, yeah. not me. Right. Um, a rich dick. <laughs> I've never met Paris Hilton. I have nothing bad to say about her. <laughs> no, she's uh, a rich dick. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, it, it, it is interesting that that used to be sort of a mark of pride among the American elite. And I think I actually don't think all 4,700 of the families that are subjected to this tax each year, vi- you know, vigorously oppose it. I think a right. lot of them think it's perfectly fair. Yeah. But there are a handful who are very politically influential who who are able to move this. I mean, it's it's no coincidence, for instance, that one of the few Democratic backers of of getting rid of the estate tax used to be Senator Blanche Lincoln. Blanche Lincoln is from Arkansas, and one of the wealthiest families in the country is the Walton family, who control Walmart. Um, so, you know, it, it just takes one Walton family in Arkansas to move that senator. Um, family filled to the brim with rich dicks. They seem to be having uh, a lot of problems with business practices that uh, <laughs> that their workers don't seem to be happy with. Um, it, it's uh, it's it's just 
it, it's remarkable that I mean I don't think this is this is even something that that most wealthy people care about. But all you need is a dozen, uh, and you can buy the whole Republican Party and and get Democrats to sign off on it. And it's really it's really sad that that's the thing that that Republicans are always asking for in these bipartisan budget deals. And I think Republicans actually have done a good job in marketing it and making it an issue. I know death tax is sort of a silly term, but. You know, when people hear about it, it's like, so when I die, everything I pass on is going to be taxed. And you have to explain, as you did, which takes a little bit of time, no, it doesn't apply to you. You don't have shit, so no one's going to tax it. You know, death tax is people immediately get an image in their mind of what it is. And and it just seem, it seems un-American. It seems like this isn't what should happen. But Kicking somebody while they're down if or more dead. Right, yeah. exactly. Like, why this person is grieving. Why should we tax them? But the person, you know, the little guy down the street who it wants to pass on his house to his daughter, that's not the person this applies to. But Republicans have done, have just hammered this so much and marketed it in such a way that I think that you know, I think Democrats need to catch up a little. Do you think that if more Americans knew that by supporting the estate tax, they were they're simply subsidizing rich dickdom forever, they might change their mind about that? I, I think so. And, and I, it's what's interesting about this particular repeal and, and Republicans voted on it this week and it passed easily because it was it was the House and they control the House. Um, Democrats did not vote for it. It was, you know, kind of kind of interesting. But this particular repeal also doesn't change anything with with the capital gains tax. So when when you die, your your income that's been in the stock market for years and years doesn't even get subjected to the twenty percent capital gains tax. So it's not not only are you missing out on the estate tax, you're also missing out on the capital gains tax, which means literally, wealthy families can just pop their money down in the stock market, watch it get bigger and bigger and bigger, never take it out, pass it on to their kids, and have it never get taxed from generation to generation to generation. And we all know that the way to get rich is not to work hard. It is to have capital assets that make a lot of money in the right. stock market. Right. So it's it's uh, it's actually a very, very dangerous change that does the exact opposite of what uh, you know Thomas Piketty and people who are worried about, about inherited wealth becoming sort of this permanent fixture of inequality uh, have been advocating to do. Right. Well, you know, it's funny, you know, talk about Thomas Piketty, one of the things that he's talked about in terms of R greater than G is that in, in popular literature, mankind has always sort of like confronted this notion. Uh, and so it's like it's 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 in a lot of ways riven in our popular consciousness. But for some reason. Right. Charles Dickens books. Our producer, who was in our ear just a minute ago, pointed out that this death tax is originated with some of that Frank Luntz. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, prestidigitation. Uh, it's it's interesting because it's it, that that level of marketing has simply been able to transform minds from what they know deep down about society to toss that in the garbage and, and, and now view view this. Don't tax my sick grandma. Right. Yeah. You get an immediate image in your head of what you think this is, even though it's completely wrong. <laughs> right. Well, all I would I would say is that most of you out there in the wide world. You don't make enough money to be qualified for the death tax. If you get there and you want the death tax to be repealed, I hardly blame you. But remember, I do, I do. That's this is, this, is, this is part of living in a decent society. All right, I do, I, okay, do. I blame you. I blame you a little bit. But my experience is that you know, if I like I said, I came to the table today just sort of automatically assuming after you make a lot of money, you don't have feelings or conscience or a soul anymore. <laughs> and so, like, I could hardly someone, I could hardly expect someone who who bought their way into an exalted state of sociopathy to then, you know, really turn on a dime and start revealing fellow feeling for other people. Uh, so I've learned a lot today. 
Thank you, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Hooray for souls. <laughs> Today we had Amanda Turkle, HuffPost Politics Managing Editor, who's actually a little bit more important to us in our life than she herself gave her credit <laughs> for on this podcast. Uh, you can follow her on Twitter at at A-T-E-R-K-E-L, A Turkle. You can also you should also follow at Turkle Rage, T E R. K-E-L-R-A. Which is not run by me. Which is not run by Amanda Charcoal. Amanda knows nothing about it. <laughs> she neither approves of nor regrets it. <laughs> We're also true. here with Zach Carter. <laughs> Zach Carter is a senior political economy reporter at the Huffington Post. You can follow him at, at Zach D. Carter. As we've explained before, it's Zach as in Zach, Z-A-C-H. Correct. Followed by D. Carter. His actual name is De Carter. De Carter. There's like an apostrophe there. <laughs> it's Zach, French. Zach De Carter. He is a he is a he is a he is a French gentleman who wears berets and smokes cloves and is a full communist. <laughs> <laughs> and and <laughs> and I am Chase Lincolns. I edit Eat the Press at the Huffington Post.com. You can follow me at Deceiver, which is D C. E-I-V-E-R. Basically, the word deceiver if you get rid of the first E. Because I did the I E. I before E, except after deceiver. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. Thanks, guys. So that's what happened this week. This podcast was produced and edited by Ibrahim Balki with technical direction from Brad Shannon and assistance from Christine Canetta and Adriana Ucero. I'm Jason Lincolns. This week we were joined by HuffPost reporters Zach Carter and Amanda Turkle. So That Happened is available on iTunes, so check us out on the iTunes store and look for the Huffington Post whole family of podcasts. Subscribe and tell your friends. If there's something you'd like to hear us talk about, just send us an email to so that happened at HuffingtonPost.com. As always, we thank you for listening, and we miss you already. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.